at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Welcome to the show today, the Author Brand Show. I'm your host, Doug Crow. Uh, you're going to want to take notes, especially on this hot topic today. Our guest today is a senior, v- senior VP and Chief Customer Officer at Bedaxo Americas. It's one of the world's largest transit technology companies. Host of his own um, podcast called Transit Unplugged. Heard in over 100 countries. Got a YouTube sensation called Transit Unplugged. Who would have known? Uh, he's authored three best-selling books, the most recent one, it's called Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation. Fascinating idea. Uh, he serves as an executive director of the North American Transit Alliance. He's an attorney, but he's still a good guy. Uh, popular keynote speaker and former CEO of one of the America's largest transit systems, the Maryland Transit Administration in Baltimore. So he's, uh, he's his resume goes on and on here. We could spend half the show on this. He's recipient of the USA's top individual transportation honor, the American Association a state highway and transportation officials. That's called AASHTO, A-A-S-H-T-O. I'm not going to say it too fast. Presence Award. Welcome to the show today, best-selling author, Paul Comfort. Be with you, my friend. How are you doing? Great, man. Good to see you. So, wow, I want to hear more about uh, this this topic of yours. But before we do, tell people why we should they should listen to us for the next 20 minutes. What's What's in it for them? Well, it'll be fun and entertaining. Uh, but uh, other than that, I think, you know, um, public transportation is not something that's at front of mind for a lot of people, right? Uh, especially in places like Charleston, South Carolina, where you're yeah, at. That's right. Uh, but, uh, but it is important, and it, millions of people rely on it every day. And uh, if you don't ride public transit, you should be thankful for it because it takes thousands of cars off the road, which yeah. makes it easier for you to get around in your city. Mm-hmm. If, if we didn't have public transit, cities would be even more congested than they are today. Yeah. Doug, I just got back from Singapore uh, last month where I visited and did a television show, which just dropped this week on Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, and they charge $100,000 for a license to have a car in the city. Right. It's a 10-year license, and it reduces the number of vehicles that are on the roads there by dramatically. It's one of the ways they put people on public transportation, and they've got an amazing public transit system. Sure. But here in the U.S., every city in the country has one. We're going to talk about it today, how it's changed over the pandemic, and what the future looks like. That's great. Okay, yeah. It reminds me that that one scene in a Mission Impossible movie where uh, Tom Cruise is talking about the life's cycle of transportation the guy's like oh this is really boring and the girl's like oh i'd marry him you know it was really good so <laughs> I, right, i'm yeah. just so curious that there's actually a, a youtube show and you know a transit unplugged show. 100 countries listen to your your show about transportation so can you believe be that somebody somebody i get man i get emails from people from uh <laughs> south africa to um singapore to malaysia Everyone's listening to this because it's an important topic for a lot of people. And we interview CEOs of transit systems. That's what our unique angle is. Since I was a CEO, I'm part of the club. And uh, so six years now in, um, you know, they're lined up at the door to come on the podcast. Terrific. That's great. So hold your book a second. We're talking about this book. Sure. Yeah. Author brand show. Conversations on equity and inclusion in public transportation. Who would have thunk? That the uh, the meter had a, a problem with the uh, the color of somebody's skin to get on a bus, right? It's, yeah, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So, Back to Rosa Parks, right? Yeah, now, that hasn't really been the issue, but right. we'll we'll dig into it in a minute. But it's just yeah. public transit needs to expand its base. Right. Uh, and it, you know, primarily, to be honest with you, in the big cities, let's say the mm-hmm. big 50 cities in the United States, um, it's been a lot about commuter transportation. So, for mm-hmm. instance, i give you an example. So I was CEO of Baltimore's transit system, and we had a bus system. We had a light rail system. We had a subway. We had a commuter train that takes people into Washington, D.C., right. and we had 350 commuter buses that took people into Washington, Baltimore, and Annapolis, mm-hmm. uh, and we had a paratransit system. But a lot of the focus was on the commuter service, the mm-hmm. white-collar workers going into downtown Washington, D.C. to get on uh, to go to get on the train, go there, and then go out to their big, tall buildings in the downtown for their jobs in the federal sure. government or whatever. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, Doug, ridership was decimated, right? I don't know if you remember, but people were telling – you know, the government officials were telling people don't ride transit unless you're, quote, an essential worker, which I never liked that term. I think most work is essential, but right. we get the drift. People yeah. that run the hospitals, the water plants, et cetera. And the liquor Even, stores. Don't forget the liquor stores. That's Those right. Essential too. <laughs> Very essential during these times, I'm sure. But um, so ridership went down to about 50 percent, but it still wow. was at 50 percent, showing yeah. that the people who ride the bus kind of the wheels and the bus that go round and round are also the wheels and the bus that make our economy turn because sure. these people that are the frontline troops of our economy, but the commuter services like Mark train that I used to run in the commuter tr- buses decimated down mm-hmm. to 5%, 95% reduction in ridership. Wow. A lot of times the routes were just canceled because no yeah. one was riding. You weren't allowed to ride. Yeah. You weren't allowed to go to your office. So, um, so during that time, public transit officials across America, Canada, and really Western Europe in general, took a moment to reflect on what's our purpose Mm. is our purpose primarily to focus on commuters or is it more than that? And they basically came down. There was a survey done by the American public transportation association where they asked them, you know, is ridership still your number one KPI your key performance indicator? And it wasn't for the Mm. first time in 50 years, it had dropped to number two. Number one was the customer experience, our customer service to what they to where they want. And number three was, new modes of transportation. We can talk about that. Autonomous buses, micro transit, the new scooters you see dumped all over your city, the right. bikes. We could talk about that's all part of the ecosystem now of public transport mm-hmm. in cities. They call it public mobility now, not just transit, it's mobility. It's, it's right. private players, Uber, Lyft, the others, all combined in to create options for people in mobility. And uh-huh. then the second big thing, so, so transit agencies figured out, you know what, we're not just about ridership anymore. If we are, we're a dismal failure because only <laughs> half the people are riding. Yeah. So let's focus on what we can do. And what we can focus on is we can actually use transit to improve the environment. All right. Buses have always been cleaner, even if they're dirty diesel. It's cleaner than 100 cars running on the road sure. uh, that it takes off the road. Each bus does, as I mentioned earlier. But now they're moving to electric buses, you know, yeah, hydrogen powered buses. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you got it. And, uh, and then the second big factor that they focused on was why don't we use these agencies that are already in place to promote overall societal good? And that could be basically equity and inclusion. What does that mean? Well, to me, it means people that have been traditionally disenfranchised, um, give them an extra hand up. I spent a lot of my career, Doug, working with people with disabilities. I ran Washington DC's paratransit system for five years. uh, And, you know, we had, we served, um, 10,000 people a day with disabilities, taking them to their uh-huh. jobs and all that with small vans, picking yep. them up at their house, taking them where they want to go under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh-huh. So to me, this is an extension of that, right? So people with disabilities, they rely on public transportation probably more yeah. than most, right? If they sure. don't have it, they might be stuck at home. 
Right. Well, people that are traditionally disenfranchised, the services really haven't been geared toward them. I give you a couple examples. Mm-hmm. You know, in New Orleans, good friend of mine, Alex Wiggins, ran that transit system. In Richmond, good friend of mine, Julie Tim, ran that system. Now she runs Sound Transit in Seattle. But Julie told me in Richmond, all of her bus shelters would keep people out of the rain. They mm-hmm. were in the downtown area, the central business district for the white collar workers. Mm-hmm. But the people of color, people of low income, maybe elderly, disabled mm-hmm. that were out in the communities, the hinterland, so to speak. Uh, they just got uh, what I would call a stick in the mud, right? It's a pole with a sign that says bus stop. So they have to stand there for a half hour in the rain waiting yeah. for the bus, whereas mm-hmm. the downtown folks, so you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so that really has been a focus. And the other big thing is that uh, commuter routes had what we call higher headways, faster headways, meaning the distance between the buses was shorter. A headway is the distance between buses. Okay. So you may get a bus coming every 10, 15 minutes if you're going to downtown but if you're out in the country, a bus may come once an hour. Right. That's not really right. I mean, people can't rely on that. A lot of times the buses are late or like in our case in Baltimore, a lot of times never even showed <laughs> <laughs> because the route got cut, especially on Monday mornings after NFL games. Yeah. So we had to fix that there. But so these are the kind of things. So increasing those headways, giving giving some of these routes that serve traditionally underserved communities a little more service, mm-hmm. a, a, a better experience, customer experience. That is what the conversations are about. My yeah. book is actually 20 top leaders saying what they're doing right now to improve equity inclusion in their agency as well. So I that's a little it. bit about what's happening in transit. I love it. Yeah. The, um, the nice shelter versus the stick in the mud is a really good example. And that was, I mean, that's like, okay, I can see that. Um, give me some other examples of that. Cause you know, normally I look at things like this and like, okay, so what's the problem? Everybody, everybody can get on a bus. You know, I can mention the Rosa Parks thing, but the experience you mentioned, I think it's really interesting. So, Besides a bus stop, what other areas are being improved across the country? Yeah, one of the big areas that's happening right now is what they're calling um, zero fare. So, you know, traditionally transit has been seen like, um, uh, what's a what's a good example? I would say... Like the post office, to, right? It's been, so, it's been you, supplemented. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It pays for itself, so to speak, with a little bit of subsidy. And um, it's gotten more and more subsidized over the last few years. When I took over the MTA in Baltimore, we were 50% fare box recovery. And the general assembly said, you know, we know it's difficult for you to meet that. So we're going to let you cut that back a little bit, but some cities like Kansas city and now even Washington DC has just voted to do this. Getting on the bus would be free. And that helps people of low income, people Mm -hmm. who maybe, or even moderate income who don't have a hundred bucks a month to ride, you know, getting, getting one of those cards uh, to ride frequent, frequent flyers, so to speak. So those are things that, that transit agencies are looking at all over the country, big cities and small towns alike, Uh, working on ways to make public transportation more accessible, meaning more service. Right. Right. Uh, And then the other big thing they're doing for more service is what's called micro transit or on-demand service. Mm -hmm. So if you move a bus route, Doug, to let, let's say you put in place some um, base expectations. We can't afford to run a 40-foot bus down the street unless so many people ride per day. doesn't make sense. Yep. So a lot of cities after COVID especially have said ridership patterns have changed dramatically. Uh, you know, there's what they call three-day cities now where people are only going to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Sure. Uh, yep. And so on Mondays and Fridays, why are we running all these buses down these streets at these high costs? when there's nobody riding on those days. Okay. Yeah. But you're still leaving aunt Susan there and she needs to get to her bridge game. So, or to her hospital or to her job or whatever. So, um, micro transit or on demand transit has been started up all over the country. 
it's basically small vans, kind of like what you might call an Uber pool vehicle. Yeah. And you people can book it online. It'll come to your curb in front of your house. You come mm-hmm. out, get in. Then it picks up somebody else down the street, somebody else, and then it drops them off. Yeah. It's traditionally for, for people with disabilities, they're, that's what we've been doing for them, paratransit. Now cities are doing it for able-bodied people, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And now the biggest trend is that because they've been doing that for a couple of years and they're running their paratransit, cities like Seattle and Dallas and other cities are looking at combining them. Uh, I just talked to the CEO of um, a major transit system in, when I was in D.C. this week, and she was saying that they're looking at doing it. Why are we running two separate microtransit systems now? Let's pull them together. Sure. And then you bring in this whole concept of adding in the bikes, the scooters, going to a mobility as a service app, a mass app on your phone uh, where you, you can you can plan, book, and pay for all your services on that app. So a guy might get up in the morning, have an Uber pick him up at his house, take mm-hmm. him to the train station, get on the train, take it downtown, mm-hmm. and then get on a bike and ride the last four blocks to his office. Yeah. It can all be planned for and paid for like Denver does on an app or like Dallas does. Yeah. And uh, and you push a button and you scan your little UPC symbol yeah. on their validator. And it's all you don't have to pull any cash out of your pocket. Nothing. That's smart. Yeah, very cool. That is that is really good. Yeah, the economies of scale is um you know kind of obvious, but sometimes it takes a little time for people to to get it in there. Tell me, I'm really curious about the driverless uh, trend that we're starting to see now. Yeah, some cities have actually had they have zones for driverless taxis and whatnot. That's right. Uber. Vegas oh. has that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about what you guys have seen in the mass transit. Yeah. So um, it's, it's an exciting time. I mean, it's a little scary, you know, it's like minority report stuff, you know, where, where if your vehicle is autonomously controlled, can somebody hack into it or can the government shut you down or whatever, but let's talk about the technology, what's happening. So, um, you know, a lot of people know Elon Musk, you know, kind of invented these Tesla cars, which also have an autonomous version where you can maybe take your hands off the wheel at certain times and let it drive itself. Well, that technology has continued to be advanced. Right. Uh, and so now there are small buses mm-hmm. that are available with manufacturers from around the world where you can pre-program routes, which right. is the most common thing. So it's on a pre-program route. So let's say you're in you know, Houston, Texas, where it's boiling hot and you're on a campus, a college campus, mm-hmm. you don't want to walk from the parking lot, which is a quarter mile from your building. You know, yeah. an autonomous vehicle could run around, pick you up and take you up and drop you off at a bus stop right in front of your, right, uh, right in front of your building. Uh-huh. Now they're even going further though, Doug. Now they're making it so that they can using LIDAR, which is laser radar yep. and other uh, technologies. It can sense the road. It can sense rain. It can sense people. And you can, it can drive itself even beyond a pre-programmed route. Yeah. You can have it come to where you're at through a phone app, et cetera. Uh-huh. They're testing these in a place in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we covered it on our Transit Unplugged TV show. I went down there. They have a test and learn facility, JTA does, mm-hmm. where they're running them through their paces and uh, sending back the information to the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, right. to make sure that they're really working for transit agencies. And yeah. most transit agencies in the country are starting to pilot that. Right. They're having trouble getting enough drivers. There's also routes where you can't fit what a big drivers? bus. You don't need a driver? What do yeah. you mean? Right. Well, for the regular service. Yeah, so they absolutely. can't get enough drivers. So they're saying, you know, in some circumstances where it's small areas, easy to get around with a smaller vehicle, and sure. we can't get enough drivers for our circulators, um, we'll put on an autonomous vehicle. Mm-hmm. Now, almost all of them still have somebody on the bus, uh, kind of like a safety concierge uh, yeah. to welcome people on. But eventually... Uh, it is coming. I mean, I was just in Dubai uh, last year and uh, Cruise, GM, General Motors Company Cruise, which is already doing this in San Francisco, is right. mapping out all the city of Dubai. And yeah. in next year, 
they'll have completely driverless taxi cabs with no steering wheel and it'll pick you up. And I mean, wow. I mean, the, the yeah. um, science fiction is now becoming more science than fiction. It is, you know, and I think that the, um, the generational jump with that will be much faster as we go. Right now, we're used to having driverless um, trams at airports, right? Those, that's right. Those trains have been driverless for years. Yep. So we might go, okay, that's okay. Off the rails, you and I, I'm like, ah, it's a little bit, uh, I'm not sure about this. But I guarantee you, I'm sure that my kids and my grandkids be like, why would you drive? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, yeah. I just got back from Honolulu uh, for another episode of our show, Transit Unplugged TV, where I filmed the nation's first autonomous elevated train. It's taken them 30 years, Doug, to get it built. And it's going live now in April uh, for, for passengers. And it goes wow. to Honolulu and out 10 miles, and they're going to add another 10 miles later. Right. But uh, again, their train uh, is going to have nobody on it. No driver, no conductor. Why it's is that just, a big deal? There's no driver and conductor at the at Chicago's it, train. That's right. That's right. Or at Denver's airport on the on the uh, yeah. the little trains in between terminals. Right. Yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be a big deal, but it is the first real one in America. So yeah. kind of exciting. We're headed there. I think in the next five to ten years, we'll be having drones drop off packages. Yeah. We'll be having you know autonomous vehicles come pick you up. It's going to be a whole new world. Yeah, a brave yeah. new world, as they that's say. That's right. That's right. What's been the biggest challenge with the um, your main book here, the equity and inclusion piece? Let's go back to that for a second. I'm curious about what the biggest challenges you've seen in the um, ecosystem of other transit uh, people. What's been the biggest uh, hurdle they had to go over? Yeah, it is. It is changing our focus. Um, I think is that you know change is always different, right? Is right. difficult. So with ridership down dramatically and fares down dramatically, the federal government had to step up. And I don't know if most people are aware the federal government passed several big packages. One was called the bipartisan infrastructure law mm -hmm. last year. There was a lot of talk about it on the news and that increased federal funding to transit. So basically during the pandemic, public transportation had largely been a local responsibility. Correct. Cities had yeah. paid for their own transit systems with a little bit of help from the federal government for capital mm -hmm. expenses, uh, you know, bricks and mortar buildings, buses, yeah. rail systems. But the operating dollars came from the fare box, maybe some advertising on the vehicles and then um, subsidies from local government. Yeah. So that changed, though, during the pandemic. And the federal government realized, you know what? Public transportation really is like a national priority, kind of like the FAA created airlines to be a national priority. Yeah. And so they really ramped up their support for it. That that mm -hmm. bipartisan infrastructure act included inside of it a five year um, transportation reauthorization act, mm -hmm. which increased the base level of funding from the federal government to public transit agencies across America by 40 percent. Oh the biggest leap in funding in history. And mm -hmm. so the federal government basically is prior. I was just in Washington, D.C. this last week. Yeah. I met with the heads of the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. They uh -huh. are committed now to seeing public transportation as a national priority, not just a local responsibility anymore. Interesting. Interesting. So that's uh, that's kind of a that came out of the pandemic. Yeah, because they realized for our economy to run, we've got to have strong public mobility because there are many people who don't have a second car in their family or maybe no car at all. And right. they need mobility to get to run societal needs. These, yeah. these essential jobs we talked about. Yes. Right. Right. I guess that's crazy. I know, I know. When it comes to the, um, I'm curious about the, the free version, right? So we go, yeah. it ends up being like, um, my, I'm going to pay for my neighbor's transportation, right? That's the idea of, of, you know, overall tax to support yes. full service, postal service, FAA and transportation, would that be a blanket free for everybody? Even a rich guy will get a free, a free ride then, or is it going to be 
segmented. So here's how that's playing out. It's a very yeah. good question. And that's the main concern people have with going to zero fare transit is, well, mm -hmm. you know, not everybody uses it. It's kind of like a public golf course run by the county government or the city yeah. government. It's sub it's not subsidized. It's paid for by user fees, right? Yeah. Uh, that cover the cost. So the, the idea that many cities have turned to though, is that mobility is such an essential function. Mm -hmm. It should be more analogous to public education, more like to parks uh, and to other services that are basically free. However, Here's how they're differentiating, as you mentioned, between the rich guys, so to speak, or whatever. Yeah. So use, use Washington, D.C. as an example. The city council voted 13 to nothing a few months ago to make bus service in the District of Columbia free, but not the rail. The rail yeah. you still pay for because that's where the commuters coming into the city would use it. So the downtown central business districts basically creating a free circulator service. Yeah. Other cities have this across the world. You know, I was in Melbourne a few years ago before the pandemic and they've had free tram service downtown. Mm -hmm. It also makes it quicker to get on and quicker to get off, Doug. Oh, There's gosh, big gosh. queues of people getting in line. Sometimes it could take you two or three minutes to get everybody to drop their 50 cents in the fair. It doesn't even make sense. I just talked to a guy the other day who runs a system outside of Boston and he's like, Paul, after we hired the, the, um, uh, the, Armored car, we paid for the counters, the police protection. All. We were only collecting 27 cents off every dollar that we were collecting. It didn't make yeah, sense. Right. And so that's what a lot of cities are coming to conclusion of. Not everyone, and it won't yeah. work for everyone. Some yeah. of the bigger cities are going to have to continue to have fairing. Sure. Um, but mid-sized and smaller cities that didn't rely on the fare box a whole lot to begin with, it's becoming a more um, right. reasonable option for them. But how do you segment that by geography? That doesn't – I mean – that that totally segregates us. That does, that's not integrating society. If we're holding like the Washington D.C. hub people, you pay and the buses are free. Well, what if I'm a janitor at the at the Capitol building, man? And I need to ride the subway system. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question. So other systems are looking at, uh, and a lot of them already have it in place. Low income subsidies, subsidized services, and people with disabilities, uh, yeah. subsidized services. So that so that. Just as you said, if you have to ride and you are in a job, which is a lower paying job, you can still afford it. Yeah. Public I, transit I, is pretty reasonable as it is. Yeah. I mean, most is. cities is like a couple bucks uh, right. to get on the bus. However, you add that up over a period of time, yeah, people yeah, who are yeah. living at subsistence, substance level, right. subsistence level, yeah. I, I can, you know, that can give them a few extra bags of groceries if they don't want to pay. Right. So it's a debate. I'm actually hosting a debate, Doug, yeah. in Nashville in two weeks between this guy in Massachusetts that I told you about, who's going to go on there and talk about he's uh, he's for zero fares. And then another guy from out West who's saying, no, no, right. it makes more sense to have people continue to pay and put money right. into the system. And so it, it's a debate that's raging in our, in our industry right now. It's a fascinating topic because, you know, the whole postal service, I keep thinking that that, like, you know, rural service would cost like 18 bucks to send a letter if I had to send it right. to farmland and two, two cents locally. So I get the concept. But I, I think and when it comes to delivering a letter, it is geographically bound. But economically for people, in my opinion, you should bring, have, bring up the, your buddy in Maryland. Segmenting it by geography is horrible. It's just a horrible idea to say, oh, well, you're out in the, in the, in the crappy area, so it's free for you. I'm like, yeah, but I work over here. <laughs> It That's right. No yeah, it shows you. I, it's funny. I was just talking to a guy named Peter Rogoff this week. He uh, used to be the head of the Federal Transit Administration for the national government, uh, and he just can't, left Seattle. He retired as head of one of their transit uh, systems. And I said, Peter, 
I've been quoting you for years. Tell me if what I'm saying is true. Yeah. Did you say one time, if you've seen one transit system, you've seen one transit system? And he said, yeah, that's me. And the idea behind it is it's not like if you've seen one transit system, you've seen all systems. Every single system in America is unique and different oh. based on uh, the yeah. history of where how it got started. Remember, public transit was in its heyday back in the 50s when all the guys came back from World War II yeah. and everyone was riding the tram system and the trolley system downtown. And yeah. then as cars came on in the 1970s, um, people started riding it less. And so a lot of the they were they were privately owned transit systems run usually by the utility companies. Mm -hmm. They yeah. went belly up and they sold them to the cities on pennies on the dollar and cities picked them up. And for yeah. 40 years, transit systems have had public transit systems had a monopoly on mobility. Yeah. And the last 10 years, Uber, Lyft, the scooters, the bikes have all kind of come into that. And so we are in an ever-changing landscape right now. And government agencies, of course, are yeah. always a little bit slower to respond yeah. to that. So that's what all this controversy and mm -hmm. and um, thought, that's why I call the book Conversations, because there's lots yeah. of conversations going on about how right. do we make this work? Right. Maybe we make a little bit too much of an effort here, and then we got to dial back. Or, or yeah. do, we're not doing enough over there. So it's a microcosm of society. Yeah. It's really interesting. interesting. And, you know, most people that work in the transit industry kind of fell into it. Yeah. So, and, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of people that work here. So it is an interesting time. Very cool. Very cool. Hold that book up again. Let's plug your book and get that out for people who want to get this book. Conversations on Equity, Inclusion, and Public Transportation by Paul Comfort. Paul, thank you for being up. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. And, I, and have a good day. Awesome. Thank you. You bet. That concludes our show for today. I'm your host, Doug Crow, with the Author Brand Show, where you're going to want to take notes. And if you didn't take notes, all you do is click below, and the show notes are there, along with Paul's book, which I highly recommend. Have a good day, and thanks for joining us.